Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel, where are you at? I'm in Dallas. And I got to tell you, the reason I, the reason I stopped, I'm in Dallas. I'm at home. And when I got off the plane, I thought about you. Because it was hot. I don't know Dallas anymore. It is 103 degrees. I'm I'm sweating right now. It is so hot here, Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to get to 108. This is not the Dallas I grew up with. I don't know this Dallas, and it's slightly humid outside. I didn't grow up with humidity. I don't know this place. This is unfamiliar to me, and I'm not comfortable here right now. This is a trust thing. (laughs) When people don't trust one another, they tend to... (laughs) Damn. react adversarily <laughs> to everything that people say. No. When I, this is what I'm saying. No. I got off the plane. It was at night. And I got out there and I was so pissed because I was like, bro, what the fuck is this, bro? And P. Frank Williams, shout out to P. Frank, P. Frank Williams said, bro, you know, whatever, you you should be used to this. I'm like, bro, it's, it's, it's dark. It's four in the morning, 90 degrees in Dallas. And the whole time we were there, oppressive titty sweat weather. Titty yeah. sweat weather. Yeah. Nipple sweat weather. When you feel that, you know how yeah. disgusting it feels when those little beads of sweats drip down your shirt and you now know your fresh now. is ruined? Yeah. It's happening like, now. No, when you take a shower and you still feel gross. Yeah. That's what this Dallas. is right now. But I'm telling mm-hmm. you, I'm telling you right now, it's not that I didn't trust you. I'm not familiar with this. I'm used to dry heat. This is very uncomfortable for me, and I don't like it. I might have to cut my trip short. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. The judge but I am at home. The yeah. judge, I think the judge just passed out on the couch to sleep. He came home early for me. Where's he there? What, does he watch? what does he watch? Does he go in there? Does he watch? I got, okay, I'm going to, three things okay, I think guess, the judge. Okay, guess, guess, Okay. Okay. So either one, TBN, he's probably watching like the. No, the, the, he never watched the that. Channel. To, no, start over, start over. That's my grandmother's show. Okay. <laughs> no. Does he watch like. Judge movies like like court movies like <laughs> no. The Rainmaker and the, the Pelican up. Brief and all of that. No, oh no, really think about he, this. He watches wrestling. You told me he watches the WWE. Not anymore. Not anymore. He doesn't watch it anymore. Um, I'm gonna give you one more guess. Just just what like would the judge watch. Is it like okay? What medium is it? Is it like a television show? Is it movies kind of shows? Stuff? Shows television westerns. Shows. Yeah. Westerns. There you go. There, westerns. I knew you could do it. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah, all of them, all the black and white ones. That's what he likes to watch. Yeah, all old niggas of a certain ilk like westerns like that. My dad used to <laughs> recipes. My dad used to be like, "Come in, son. Come here. He, uh, come in there," and I'd be like, "You know, Dad, bonanza's cool. I'm not about to do it right now." Okay. Grew up on like it. MTV's The Grind is on. That's what I'm gonna watch. <laughs> okay. Right now, the you grind. know those those channels were on lock. We had locks on those type of channels. So you guys never watched like MTV. We had parental co- parental codes. I had to go to somebody else's house to watch it. That's it was very it was really embarrassing when people would come over here and I would they would try to turn on a show and it would be like parental lock. Parental code. Parental lock. Except when they all got to TBN, then it was like, I saw we him never rising on the street TBN. the other day. <laughs> I saw him coming on the hill. Jesus. <laughs> 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 Like, Rachel's like, sit down. They're going to sing Rings of Jesus. This is our favorite part. 
and you guys are jumping up with ankle length dresses on, and your friends are like, "What the fuck is going on in the Lindsay house?" <laughs> you know. Um, all right, we got two guests today. We got uh, Murtaza Hussein. He is going to join us. He's from the Intercept and talk to us about the uh, really dramatic developments in Russia over the weekend. Uh, yeah. To cool or not to cool? That is the question. <laughs> okay. We also it's have not me- funny, man. It is, it, I'm saying, <laughs> don't make me laugh about it. To cool or not to cool? Oh, we don't know what happened. We thought it was all going down, and then we were all over it, and then it didn't go down, and everybody's like, what? Who is the Wagner group? Yevini Provetskin? Who are these? Who's Progroshin? Progroshin. Progroshin. All of these people. Wagner group. I spent the entire weekend learning everything I could about the Wagner group. And then, so are you upset? Then they just you probably you were so invested. You were really upset. I was. It was like they. It was Wagner. This Wagner that I literally asked. I spent all of Friday, all of Saturday, investing into Vog, Vogative, Vog, Vog, Vog. And by the way, a terrible group of human beings, Mm. the Wagner group. Terrible. We're talking about the name that they get from a composer who is. Nazi ties. We're talking about their original founder being someone who had not Nazi leanings. We're talking about all of that. We're talking about the weirdest, worst types of battles and proxy wars fought all over the world. Kinds of human uh, rights violations from these guys. These are not the guys that you want to be rooting for. And um, Ratafsa Hussein from The Intercept is going to talk to us about that. That is, of course, our big deal of the day. And then later on, we got Melvin Gregg from The Black. Mm-hmm. Talk to mm-hmm. Melvin Gregg about a lot of stuff. So we're giving you the rare dual interview episode of Higher Learning. But don't worry, you're still going to get enough Van and Rach. Um, rarely do an interview off the top. But, you know, Ratafsa is here. It's a big deal. And it's a big deal. So let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom and the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Okay. Uh, the entire world has been talking about the events that unfolded or didn't unfold. <laughs> Uh, in Russia this past weekend. Um, but I, we realize that a lot of you don't know exactly what is happening and what is going on. Was there an attempted coup? Is this a spat between the world's most deadly private army uh, and a government? Are Putin and Prigozhin still buddies? Are they pals? 
Is he still this good old chef for him? Um, we're going to bring somebody in right now who is going to be able to help us make some sense of this. He is a reporter at The Intercept who focuses on national security and foreign policy, CNN, BBC, MSNBC, other news outlets, and has co-hosted The Intercepted, uh, the Intercepted Podcast. Um, recent stories from this gentleman have focused on the geopolitical consequences of the war in Ukraine, as well as, key here, the Wagner Group and their use of violence and the sledgehammer symbol. His name is Murtaza Hussein, and we are happy to have him on Higher Learning today. How are you doing, brother? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Okay, first question. We're going to start all the way at the beginning. What is the Wagner Group, and why are they being used as extensively as they are in the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine? So the Wagner Group is a private military company in Russia. You can say it's a mercenary group in Russia, which has a relationship with the Russian government, uh, whereby it's believed to be used as a tool of Russian foreign policy in various theaters in the world. Now, in the United States, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there's a company people may remember called Blackwater. And you know, when the U.S. invaded yeah. Iraq, they had Blackwater as like a supplementary force to the U.S. military, doing certain things there, you know, guarding missions, some uh, defending convoys, involved in a lot of terrible abuses in Iraq, too, because they tend to have less discipline and so forth than the regular military. So Wagner, if you can imagine, it's Blackwater like on steroids. They don't just uh, supplement the Russian military. They actually substitute for the Russian military in many, many different parts of the world uh, where they're deployed. Very extensively, they're deployed in Africa. So there are Russian economic interests in Africa and various different countries. Mali is a particularly important one. Uh, Central African Republic is another one. And Wagner is deployed there. And, you know, they secure mines, they partner with the local government, and they wipe out their enemies in exchange for cash. They were involved in a very horrifying massacre in Mali a few months ago, which is documented. Several hundred people were executed by and raped and tortured by Wagner mercenaries in Mali. The UN documented this. It's quite extensive. And I think part of the reason is because they're not really military. They're just kind of uh, paramilitary. So they're civilians, technically speaking, but they don't want to use guns. They have some sort of uh, training internally themselves, another professional force. And a lot of them are actually former prisoners in Russia. So mm -hmm. when the Ukraine war started, it was actually given amnesty for Russian prisoners saying that, hey, if you join Wagner and go fight in Ukraine or somewhere else, you can get your prison sentence wiped out. And a lot of people who were murderers and other things actually went through this. And there was some outcry in Russian public, some, some guy who murdered a family. Did a couple months in Wagner and then he was free and walking around and he went to the market grave with the family killed. Some really awful stuff like that. So, you know, very sensibly, Wagner has been deployed in Ukraine, uh, fighting Ukraine, fighting the Ukrainian government on behalf of Russia. Now, why does the Russian government want to do this? I think there's one major reason, which is that the war, war is generally not very popular when the public feels like they're dying a lot in the war. They ask a lot more questions that their own sons and brothers are dying in the conflict. If you can use some other groups of people to take the brunt of it, who are sort of separate from society in some way, you can kind of keep the conflict going a bit longer without the public getting mad. So the Russian government's using Wagner, especially, particularly to act as like a shield against public outrage over the conflict because, hey, you know, it's not just strict soldiers, Russians dying, it's these guys. 
And they also use a lot of ethnic minorities. Russian ethnic minorities are also very heavily sent into Ukraine, disproportionately dying in conflict. So it was intended as a shield. But very strangely, I think what's happened is that Wagner's become very empowered by its involvement in these foreign conflicts with gaining money and prestige and notoriety. And also in Ukraine, where it's doing the brunt of the fighting, gaining a lot of popularity among some far-right sentiments of Russian society. And then also, you know, starting to have its own interests separate from Putin. And mm. Prigozhin, the head of Wagner, is the one we see now emerging as some sort of rivals power center for Putin inside Russia. Yeah, yeah. And I want to pick up on that because, you you know, you talk about, you gave us like the history of Wagner and you talk about, you know, the way that they work with the Russian government and the military. So when did things start to take a turn? And so why? Yeah, so I think it's quite recent. Uh, over the past year, you've seen the Russian government leaning more and more on Wagner in Ukraine. And the war in Ukraine is, you know, has not really gone well for Russia. It's been a very, very deadly, you know, people say futile conflict, uh, huge losses, huge casualties in Russian military, Ukrainian military, and also these paramilitary groups like Wagner. Uh, they've been dying a lot. And I think that, you know, their own leadership and their own rank and file feels that why are we dying for the decisions of the Russian military high command that, you know, we don't even have a say in and, you know, why don't we stand up to them? So I think it's not really clear exactly what happened in the last couple of days, to be honest. Like no one ever was trying to figure out what exactly happened, but what it looks very much like is that there was a rebellion against uh, the Russian leadership by Wagner and by its leader who at some point thought he put pressure on the government or potentially over, even overthrow the government. After what he said, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, uh, the leader of Wagner, said was a missile attack by Russian forces against a Wagner base inside Ukraine. So to be honest, it's not that rare to see in conflicts that the longer it goes on and the worse it gets, the more people start turning on each other. And I think what we're seeing now is different mm. aspects of the Russian state, including this group, this mercenary group, who's become very powerful, you know, becoming rivals of one another in the context of a still ongoing conflict. So you mentioned Blackwater earlier, um, and I remember the hubbub surrounding Blackwater when they got more involved uh, in what the United States had going on in the Middle East, particularly Eric Prince, who was the leader of Blackwater, the top guy of Blackwater. He was somewhat of a media darling at that point. People were doing all of these types of, you know, uh, profiles of him talking about his military background and all of that stuff. But he did not have in my opinion, nearly the proximity to the top of the U.S. government as Yevgeny Prigozhin seems to have. There was never going to be a time where Eric Prince was going to turn Blackwater on the United States military and threaten George W. Bush for control of the country. How strong is Wagner and what made Prigozhin think that he could take on Putin in even an indirect way. Yeah, you know, I think it's two aspects of it. Uh, Wagner is stronger than Blackwater was, but also the Russian state is weaker than the American state. So mm. there's less, it's more personalized, it's more centered around one guy, in this case, Putin. There's not these really diffuse power centers and strong institutions. It's a very, very weak and kind of hollow state, you'd say. I think it's very common for dictatorships. Uh, they call them like weak strongmen. So, you know, the guy at the center of it consolidates all the power in itself, but it means that everyone else has become weaker. So even the emergence of Wagner, I think it was kind of a mistake by the Russian government. 
they needed someone to take the hit on the Ukraine war. They thought they could use this ex-convicts and, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of knucklehead type guys to be that. But in doing so, they actually empowered someone, someone else besides Putin who had some power. And then inevitably it led to a clash. Whereas the United States, like, as you said, you know, Eric Prince, uh, even at the peak of his influence and power, uh, he never had the ability to challenge American institutions. In fact, those institutions at some point kind of turned against him a little bit when he started giving them a bit of a bad name. So just imagine if the U.S. was like a post-apocalyptic, you know, Mad Max-style situation, and you had warlords <laughs> emerging. Uh, Post-Soviet Russia is sort of like an apocalyptic state. Of it. You know, it has some functioning. Mm. It has this very big economy. It has some functioning institutions, but it's a lot weaker and a lot more, uh, I'd say, chaotic than the United States, which, you know, can control people, control people because it has a monopoly on violence from the military and the security forces and so forth. You know, if if there was this growing sentiment and it was obvious that Wagner was gaining, was becoming empowered, how were they able to move so far, like through Russia? And how did Putin not see this coming to stop it before it got, I mean, they did stop it eventually, but for them to get as far as they did. Well, that's a great question because it certainly doesn't look very good on Putin. He doesn't look very particularly competent or strong after this, even though in the end, Prigozhin backed down seemingly from marching on Moscow and like that. It doesn't look great when it's clearly not completely in control. And when your state is so chaotic, that something like that can happen. Uh, there were some reports that a few aircraft were shot down by Wagner on their advance towards uh, Moscow. And they captured a city called Rostov on Don, which is a very important strategic city for uh, supplying the war in Ukraine as well, too. So I think that the Russian government clearly didn't expect this, didn't have you know, a backup or net defenses in place to defend against an internal uprising. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that Putin expected such a thing to happen. And I'm not even sure if Prigozhin had planned on this because it seemed to be quite impromptu. And he announced his march on Moscow after what he said was an attack by the Russian military, purposely or accidentally against a Wagner base that he inflicted some casualties. So it may have been a, I don't know, a tantrum, the word to put it, or this like impromptu uprising. Uh, certainly caught everyone off guard. But I think at the end of it, no one looks very good. Putin doesn't look very good. Not the one who's in charge. He looks a lot weaker than he did. And Prigozhin also doesn't look good because, you know, in the eyes of his diehard supporters, he, you know, challenged the king, he challenged the leader of the country, and then he backed down and left the country. So he also looks kind of weak now at the end of it. I think in the end of it, uh, the only people who are very happy about this part of the Ukrainians because their major enemy is looking uh, quite disorganized and quite foolish at the moment. Um, there's an interesting, uh, there's an interesting thing happening on Twitter and some other places where it started to happen, where the Wagner Group was looked at as uh, somewhat his heroic figures, because you're looking at them challenging Putin and people are thinking, is this going to bring an end to the fight in Ukraine? Might there be regime change in, in Russia? Uh, and people were like, oh, Prigozhin, go, go, go. The Wagner Group, as I understand it, is an absolutely wretched organization that has been responsible for countless atrocities in whatever country they've set foot in. Why don't you give us a little background on some of the war crimes that they've maybe been accused of or some of the things they've been, they've done in, I don't know, Syria or in Sudan or other places that they've been utilized. 
Yeah, so you know, Wagner has a Telegram channel and they kind of issue communications there and they talk to the supporters there. And if you join that Telegram channel, you can get actually a sense of their own internal culture. It's very, as you said, uh, glorifying of violence and indiscriminate violence against non-combatants and uh, prisoners of war and things like that. You mentioned in Syria, one of the uh, first places Wagner was deployed uh, as a tool of the Russian government was in Syria to support the Syrian government, was fighting uprising. Uh, they did a lot of terrible things in Syria, but one particularly famous incident was the murder of a Syrian army defector by Wagner troops with a sledgehammer. And they beat this man to death with a sledgehammer. They put it on video. Uh, they beheaded him. They set his body on fire. And then, you know, they posted the video and his family saw it. And they're trying to sue Wagner now and so forth. But, you know, that video, they never punished the people involved in it. It was their part. And they actually, the sledgehammer, after that, became a symbol of Wagner, a symbol of Wagner's. Uh, you know, their culture, basically, they made memes out of it. They started selling merchandise with a sledgehammer on it. Uh, recently, Prigozhin sent a, you know, a sledgehammer to a European member of parliament as like a threat. Like, they're very proud, actually, of doing it. So I think that one thing to keep in mind is that people say, well, if Putin gets deposed, that's great. And we have kind of this idea that, uh, you know, the next person of Putin is more liberal than Putin or better than Putin. I think it's exactly the opposite. Usually, when you depose a dictator, you know, Democracy and liberalism, it takes like a really specific sort of like conditions to grow in. When you have a really tough, uh, hardened society and you have a dictator at the center of it, very often the person who's going to emerge in their place will be very, very far to the right of them. So I think if Putin were to be, if I were to place him in the Russian political spectrum at the moment, I'd say he's a moderate. He's like a centrist, I would say. And there are a lot of people to the right of him. Prigozhin is just one of them who, if it's a power would be much, much more extreme. You know, I don't know what they do exactly. They could you know, continue the war in Ukraine. They could you know, not end it for various different reasons. But they'd be much more extreme, I think, in many ways. Putin, for all his many, many faults, he tries to govern as like somehow a multi-ethnic Russian empire. That's sort of his vision. Empires by nature tend to be kind of cosmopolitan because they have to be on some level, even if it's very unfair or unjust. But I think, you know, there's very racist ultra-nationalists in Russia who, you know, have a different priorities. And if they came to power, you know, they could govern Russia differently. And they can also be more aggressive against Russia's neighbors because they feel Putin's being soft. That's a very common percep perception in Russia. So Prigozhin is just a great example. He's basically a warlord. He's a longtime, uh, you know, prisoner. And he was very hardened in that experience. He was, you know, caterer. I don't know what that means exactly in practice, but he was known to be a caterer for a while in Russia. And then he became this mercenary warlord. So if he came to power, like I, I would say that people are happy, the enemy of an enemy of a friend, but anyone thinking this guy would be, you know, a bit more responsible with Russian nuclear weapons, it's a very hard argument to make. And I think, unfortunately, that's just a position that a lot of countries similarly find themselves placing. When I hear the history of Wagner, I'm not, it's like not shocking that what happened happened, or that it could possibly happen again. You know, another leader steps up and does this, which makes me wonder, is that why you think, because a lot of people, there's a lot of talk on, you know, social news, everything. Why did Putin decide to make a deal and negotiate with Prigozhin and, and even with the other uh, people that rebelled? And at the same time, and at the same time, Everyone's talking about his, uh, does he look weak with this? Does that, the, the talk about making him look weak, 
possibly make him more dangerous? Well, I think Prigozhin is very dangerous in the future. Like right now, he has a deal to walk out, but I'd be very, very surprised if he's not. I was surprised if this is over now, uh, I would say, because, you know, if you're a dictator of a country, the fear aspect is almost all you have. That's basically the mm-hmm. one thing you have to keep everyone in check. You have patronage, you can pay people off and things like that, but fear is a very, very important component of it. And losing your face is probably the worst thing that can happen to you. It emboldens your mm. other makes people think that, you know, you're, if Prigozhin can get this far, maybe I can get a bit farther. Maybe this guy we were all terrified of is not really as all-powerful as we thought he was. You know, it's the worst thing that happened. So I think that he really, by negotiating, it showed a number of things. He wasn't really ready for the possibility of Prigozhin marching on Moscow because it ended very badly, so he needed an emergency out to get away from that. Uh, you know, the situation in the war front could be much more dire than they're letting on at the moment in terms of manpower and forces he has left to, de- left to deploy. Uh, one thing that we saw is it looked like the people who were going to fight Prigozhin if they marched in Moscow were not going to be a regular Russian army. They were going to be these Chechen units, like Chechen uh, militias under Putin's control, which are, again, like a minority group in Russian society, which is sort of loyal, or he's, he's been patronized by him, or his leaders have been patronized by him. They were going to have to fight because maybe Russians were not going to fight. Maybe they were, you couldn't rely on them as much. So I think that, you know, it's very, very possible that he could retaliate in the near future against Prigozhin or others just to send a message now. Because, you know, Russian history, recent history, we see that assassination, uh, poisoning, uh, other types of retaliation against dissidents, uh, both right wing and left wing, liberal, whatever they are, whichever part of the spectrum they are, very, very common. So, I think David Petraeus, the former general, said, the U.S. general said that if I was Prigozhin, I'd probably stay away from open windows in Belarus, where he is right now. And I think that's unfortunately, or, you know, neutrally, that's pretty good advice. Because I think that if Putin doesn't retaliate against him, even after making a deal, he's going to endanger himself in favor of another challenge. Mm. Um, a couple things about that. Uh, two questions. Number one, knowing... Putin and how he's dealt with his enemies around the world, why on God's earth would Prigozhin march on Moscow without finishing the job? Number one. Right. Um, and number two, if Yegeni, if Yegeni Prigozhin is killed, who is the heir apparent to Wagner? Is there a second um, that looks to be waiting in the wings to, to take up uh, the, the, uh, the operations of the group? in case Prigozhin uh, is killed? Yeah, why he did it is an excellent question without finishing the job. It could have been an unplanned decision. It could have been a uh, spontaneous decision in response to, if it's true, an egregious event like an attack on a Wagner military base by the Russian military. Uh, but certainly leaving the job half-finished, if he lost his nerve, he's going to might have to pay the consequences of that in the future. It's something which uh, no one looks good now. Because as bad as Putin looks, Prigozhin also looks bad now. He looks equally as weak and as feckless as Putin does. And he doesn't have, well, he doesn't have an army to defend him. He doesn't have the same state apparatus to defend him as Putin potentially does. So I think that why he did it, I can't really say without speculating, but I would say it certainly seems to be a miscalculation. And in terms of a successor, I think that it's very common with authoritarian states and authoritarian organizations that succession is the number one crisis for an organization or a state which is run by one guy. Because that question of who takes power after 
even identifying successor while you're alive is dangerous. Or, you know, that person could just start taking power now and kill you. Or mm-hmm. if you create like a structure whereby successors can emerge and there's a meritocracy inside, that also can be threatened. Because then someone could just emerge of their own and people say, this guy is smarter than you are, then let's put him in power right now. So people cannot want to do that. And, you know, Wagner is a pretty opaque organization, but I get the sense that they probably don't have a very good succession plan. And they probably don't have a meritocratic internal culture for new leaders to arise organically. So I would imagine that it's very possible that if he dies, no one takes it, it just dissolves. So it's easier for the Russian government to just dissolve it and eradicate it as there's some indication that they like to at the moment. But I think that it's very, very tied to him personally. And outside, another force emerging inside the organization who we can identify and name, it's very hard to see how it would continue institutionally. I think that one thing that could happen is that if you follow this uh, spectrum of Russian ultranationalist military figures, there are other guys up there who want to create private military. There are companies like Gazprom, the, uh, the Russian gas giant, which wants to make a private military. A lot of people in Russia are saying that if you can have private militaries and the state is not all powerful, we better get one to prevent, protect our own interests in the country, economic interests, mm-hmm. political interests. Something we're going to see is rather than maybe Wagner surviving forever, you're going to see a further cracking up and decentralization of the Russian state uh, around different figures and different institutions. And that's not really good for Russia, I would say. That's, uh, you don't want to see, you want to see diffusion of power, but you don't want to see a state breaking up with that rival gangs, rival factions. And I think those Prigozhin, this debacle showed that Russia is sort of becoming like that. It's becoming like a bunch of gangs. And that's not, doesn't bode well for its future development. Mm. Um, last two questions for me. I'll just put them together. I know the United States has come out and said that they weren't involved in this in any kind of way. Um, is that the sentiment that is being uh, felt over there? Do they in any way, do they, are they tying this to the United States? And then the second part is, I know they were celebrating in Kiev for what has happened. Um, what does this mean for the Ukraine-Russian war? Yeah, on, on the first point, I haven't seen them trying to tie it to the, the U.S. or the CIA. Some people who are maybe international supporters of them have sort of raised that possibility or journalists observing and so forth. I think that they haven't. And I, you know, I think it's unlikely, but I think the reason they haven't said it too is because if they said that, they would look even worse because then it's like hmm. your biggest enemy was responsible for your biggest hum- humiliation. So regardless if they believe that or not, or they thought there was some role in it, I think they would downplay that or they would just not bring it up. Mm-hmm. It would add to the negative uh, image of everything that took place. And, you know, Russia is you know, a relatively closed society in the sense of free press and uh, dissent and so forth is not really permitted. People can log on the internet and things like that, uh, but, you know, it's a much more controlled media environment. So, you know, their own narrative is going on in Ukraine, what's going on in the U.S. is very, very different. And I think they would not like to uh, promote that idea because they don't want to promote the idea of the U.S. is strong, the CIA is strong, and they can even turn our own militias against us and so forth. They'll come with something else. Maybe they'll accuse Progosian of being a traitor and for some uh, various different reasons and liquidating him in the future. But uh, the U.S. angle, you know, could the CIA do something like that? It's possible, but we would not be able to say it definitively. But I think that, you know, it's 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 a bit unlike. I think it's unlikely, and it's unlikely they'll they admit it anyway. So on, on any side. To the second point, Kiev. You know, right now, it's a very critical time for the Ukrainian military because this summer they launched a counteroffensive aimed at 
gaining back territories under Russia's control that they occupied when the war started. That counteroffensive has not been going very well. They've been losing a lot mm. of uh, men and material, uh, you know, to gain very, very little territory in this time. So this, uh, you know, crack up of Wagner and the Russian government could be very useful for the Ukrainians. If the Russians are fighting amongst each other, they don't have enough manpower or, uh, you know, you know, endurance left to fight us in Ukraine. So our offensive can go a little bit better. And of course, when you're in war, they become mortal enemies now in Russia and Ukraine. You love seeing your enemy fight amongst each other. It's the number one goal of any uh, conflict, actually. The first thing you do is try to drive away between your enemy and get them to the bulk of fighting. So I think that a lot of them were cheering for Progosian to march in Moscow. Not because they like him. They really hate him. The Progosian and, and sorry, uh, Wagner has committed a lot of war crimes against Ukraine. But they would love to see them fighting in the streets of Moscow and killing each other. So that didn't happen this time. But the fact that it could have happened and the fact that those entropic tendencies, those tendencies of cracking up are now showing themselves in Russia, very, very gratifying for Ukrainians. And certainly it's making them hopeful that their counteroffensive may encounter some weaker defense than they'd expect. Um, Wagner forces have been more successful than the Russian regulars in the, the war against Ukraine. Uh, Russia seems to be weak militarily in a way that is shocking, <laughs> like various parts of the world. They obviously bit off a little bit more, a little bit too dip, too much dip on their chip in terms of the Ukraine, in, in terms of the strength of their army. All kinds of reasons for this could be the mismanagement at the top, could be Putin's, um, proclivity for putting puppets around him in, instead of uh, actual genius military commanders uh, because of his fear that someone will usurp him. All kinds of reasons. However, there is one thing that's true of Russia, which is they are an enormous nuclear power. Now, in terms of their technology and where they exist with subs and all of that stuff, they have a lot of world-ending capability in terms of their ability to, to strike at nuclear targets. Is a Russia that is this unstable fighting a war with one of their neighbors and having problems uh, with the, the stability, should I say, of the country inside of it with warring factions, any of which could take over the country and then have access to those nuclear, nuclear armaments, is that an existential threat to life on Earth? Well, you know, that's one reason why I was sort of skeptical that the U.S. would be behind the potential Wagner coup, because I think that as much as the U.S. would love to hit Russia really hard and is imposing a lot of uh, suffering on them in Ukraine, uh, people are worried about exactly what you just mentioned. The breakup of the Russian state, what happens to all that technology, all of those missiles, all of the... Uh, the equipment and very sensitive equipment uh, that exists in Russia, you know, it's a very, very dangerous and, uh, you know, important issue. I think if Russia were to crack up and literally break up into warring factions, become like Afghanistan or something, uh, that material could diffuse all over the world. It could be taken over by militias, could be taken over by organized crime, terrorist groups. And even from the time of the Soviet Union when it was collapsing, the U.S. wanted to collapse in an orderly way because it was concerned about exactly what you just said. 
So I think it's a very serious threat. Uh, I think that one thing I've learned just from observing U.S. response to the uh, war in Ukraine is that the U.S. intelligence community, which showed itself as being very incompetent during the war on terror, they didn't really know what was going on, they weren't very successful, they seem to know a little bit more about Russia. I think they've trained for many decades just dealing specifically with Russia. So their understanding of intelligence and uh, you know their capabilities are a lot greater. So I imagine they have contingencies in place for what you're talking about. What do we do if the Russian government collapses? I mean, where are the nuclear sites? How do we go secure them? I don't think it'd be easy. I think it'd be very messy and difficult. But if they've trained for anything, hopefully they've trained for this, going in, securing that. So I think it's the one reason why we haven't seen greater efforts to kill Putin or oppose the Russian government uh, is because of exactly what you mentioned, the, the breakup and the threat it would pose to the whole world. And, you know, Russia is a very big country territorially. It's the 11th biggest economy on Earth. It's 120 million people. It's a very the second largest nuclear arsenal on Earth. Great you know, arsenals of aircraft and submarines and uh, ships and so forth. A lot of that could be very useful to a lot of people. And, you know, if something were to happen, you want to see an effort to go and secure it. And, you know, they don't want that to happen unexpectedly. All right. Murtaza Hussein, The Intercept, thank you for joining us. Look how much smarter we are now. We were dumb mm-hmm. before you came in here. <laughs> now look at us. Like, we know all about Wagner. You know what I might do? I might start my own militia. I might start right. my own. I might get a... Me and you, Martaza, we get together, we start our own. Why and not we go me? over there. Because uh, you know, I know you don't want to do it. You know what I mean? You don't want to do it. <laughs> And we go over there, we take that. But thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And we'll check back in with you if, if, if more things develop. Thank you so much for joining us on Higher Learning. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Okay. Um, I, I, I legitimately feel smarter. I know stuff. Definitely scary world. Scary world. And I'm really curious is like where they go from here. Because everybody's looking at Prigozhin and everybody's looking at Putin. And it's like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Neither one is safe. Well, I think a couple of things have happened. Number one, we didn't get to talk about it that much, but the Wagner Group has 
has really been able to get a, a lot of things accomplished in the war against the the Ukraine, war against Ukraine, shall I say, that Russian troops haven't been able to do. So mm-hmm, the question mm-hmm. now, another question I should have asked them is uh, whether or not they'll still be active in fighting this war. It would seem like they probably won't I, be. See, I thought they, I thought they would. Mm. We should yeah. ask that question. I just should thought that the part question. of the negotiation was that the reason that Putin's not coming after those people that rebelled is because they will go back and fight. That's what well, I assumed. I, well, then, you know, if, if Prigozhin is in charge of, you know, this fighting force in the same way, and it's a large, moderately skilled fighting force, although there have been times where they've <clears throat> essentially been proxy wars between Wagner troops and U.S. troops um, in other parts of the country, and the, the Wagner group has gotten their fucking ass kicked uh, so it's it's not like they're, it, it, but they're, you know, the Russian soldiers at this time just haven't been doing a great job in Ukraine. So we'll see what happens. Okay, so there's a, there's a story out of Chicago um, that has an update. It was updated before we got a chance to go into the story in depth. The woman's mm-hmm. name is Carlisha Hood. She's 35 years old. She entered the Maxwell Street Express to get some food at 11 o'clock um, on June 18th. Okay, she got in an argument with a gentleman named Jeremy Brown, 32, while they were waiting in line for food. The video is absolutely disgusting. Yeah. I'm not sure what they were arguing about, but uh, at a certain point, Jeremy Brown warns her in this video that he is going to knock her out. And then he launches into an attack against this black woman in this food shop, in this food shop and punches her. Vicious punches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you probably have probably heard of this story. After that, the woman's 14-year-old son enters the restaurant. He is armed from a gun that he got out of her car. He shoots the man. Here's where the story gets controversial for a lot of people. He shoots the man. And when I first viewed this video, I thought that the man died right there. Apparently. According to reports, uh, this man, Jeremy Brown, was able to exit the restaurant and ran. Mm -hmm. And the young man followed him and finished him. In addition to that, Carlisha Hood, his mother, it had been reported that she had instructed her son to also shoot Jeremy Hood's, Jeremy Brown's girlfriend, should I say, who was laughing and encouraging Brown during the argument. As a matter of fact, when Mr. Brown hits Carlisha Hood, you can hear somebody saying, he told you. Okay? Mm. Um, now, the details of this But he did not shoot her. He did not shoot her. He did not shoot her. Yes. According to reports, Hood had texted her son and told him to come to the restaurant, uh, to come inside the restaurant when the argument became physical. Uh, He punched her. um, And then he was killed. Shot twice, later died. Hood and her son surrendered to the police uh, on Wednesday. She was charged with murder and contributing to the delinquency of a minor and held on a $3 million Mm. bond. It should be said that uh, she had a valid firearms uh, identification card and a permit to carry a concealed weapon. That's according to prosecutors. Um, It was first-degree murder, aggravated assault, Unlawful use of a weapon and unlawful possession 
of a firearm in juvenile court. That's what her son was looking at. These mm-hmm. charges have not been dropped. Yeah. These and charges against Carlisha Hood and her son were dropped. A lot of people thought that maybe there would be some charges that stuck because of the fact that he followed him. And in Mm-mm. following him, the danger seemingly was gone from the situation, which didn't give you an excuse to kill. You're shaking your head, Rachel. I, I, I think that this was the correct call in this instance because the only thing that when you were hearing the story as things were developing, the, the whole part about that he, that she, the mother, instructed the son to also shoot the girlfriend, that had been alleged. I didn't see that anywhere other than that supposedly happened. It seemed like it was a he said, she said thing. And there weren't charges that were related to that specific incident or or that story that didn't reflect that. But when you look at, um, Illinois doesn't have stand your ground laws, but they do have self-defense. And it says that if the person believes that themselves or another individual, uh, or they're allowed to use deadly force, if themselves or another individual is trying to prevent serious injury or death. What that son saw his mother go through, she wasn't hit one time. She was hit repeatedly. There you go with the serious injury. When he left, that son didn't know if he was going to his car to grab a gun or get a gun from somebody else. The threat was still there, in my opinion. So it made sense for me after seeing if for him to see that man repeatedly beat his mother. And I don't know, I don't know if the gunshot is what made him stop or he stopped on his own. But to to see that happen and then see him run out, you don't know what he's capable of doing. To me, the threat was still there. So I'm not shocked that the uh, the charges were dropped. So then that's a very interesting point that I haven't heard anybody bring up. <clears throat> but I haven't talked to a lot of people with your legal eagle knowledge about it either. So then the question then becomes, and I'm serious, the question then becomes, does that, uh, is that true for any case? If somebody is in my house and I shoot them um, because they're in my house and they run out, is it safe for me to assume that they might be running to get something to come back in? In that case, following someone and shooting them, you seem like there would always be a defense for that because you could say, I don't know what they were going to get. I mean, I think people do do that. I think that is what we see happening. Right. I mean, just the case we were talking about in Florida with the the former football player, you know, he went in, he grabbed his gun, he kept shooting. Well, he he didn't follow them out. I, I can't remember if he was shooting from he his house. Follow he them followed out. them out. They were in the but car he just kept he shooting. saw them with the gun. So he shot until he, fo- he, he thought the threat shooting. was. Yeah. He went back in the house, got the gun, kept shooting. Right. But I mean, he was found. They should. I think that they should have let him go from the beginning. But they made him go through the whole trial process. I think that there's an argument to be made. And I think every case is different, right? You have to look at all the circumstances surrounding it. But I think it is very likely seeing what that man did initially. It's likely to think that he's running out to keep to like defend himself or or to, to go get a gun and finish the job or keep it going. That I think anybody, a reasonable person would think that. Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. the correct force was used. In my what, what do you think? the impetus was for arresting her on a first degree murder charge and giving her $3 million bond in that case then? Like why? The bond, I can't speak to because, I mean, 
well, probably because it was a murder charge, but $3 million is a, is a lot. But I think they had to at least take her in. I think they're quicker to do that when it's, of course, Black people. But they needed to get all the evidence and get talk to witnesses and do all of that before the, before, I mean, they seems like they rushed to charge her. But this happened four days ago. But it seems like they did rush to charge her, set the bell and, you know, do all of that. But I think they had to wait, weigh everything out and see what happened. Because just as there's this debate on social media, right? <clears throat> Was it okay for him to continue shooting? Well, I got to talk to people. I got to figure this out. Well, I don't know if that video that we saw on social media was initially available to the police. Don't you think that it would have been a different story? I think if we hadn't seen this video, she'd still be in jail. Well, there's another video that the police posted. And police posted a video of the young man walking. I have to imagine the police saw this video because the police, whoever is shooting that is at the scene of the crime. And there's another video where you don't necessarily see it happen, but you see the young man walk into the place um, and pull the gun out and shoot whenever Mm -hmm. it turns physical, okay? So I have to imagine that the police had had seen this video because the people there that were on scene and it, it made the rounds, I have to believe that he'd seen the video. Now, the video that I haven't seen that people mm-hmm. claim exists, but I haven't seen it, is the video of the young man following um, Mr. Brown outside of the place and shooting him. Mm-hmm. Because it also depends in terms of, for me, on how that looks. If he's running and gets shot, that's one thing. But if, he's, if he falls to the ground and then you shoot him while he's on the ground and he's bleeding, then that seems to be another thing. Um, and I'm just talking here because yeah, this is this know. is the way I this is the way I feel about this. This gentleman earned his death, and and I don't mean to be insensitive. I don't mean to be insensitive. I don't. This gentleman earned his death. He made it. He made the choice. He made a choice to take his right hand and punch a woman dead in her fucking face. Okay, mm-hmm. and he chose the wrong fucking one. That's just the way that it goes. I'll tell you something right here, y'all motherfuckers need to do fucking better. What I saw in that situation, the brutality in which he went in that woman's jaw, the sheer force. The fact that there was no hesitation. Right. Over words. Over yeah. words. Over words, a place in line, no matter what it was. Over words. I'm sorry to anybody who loves that gentleman. I really am. I really am. But he punched a woman in yeah. her fucking face and didn't know her son was waiting outside. You mean it's a Glock 17 in the other room. And I know you guys are now shocked that I didn't get rid of all my guns. I can't. Like, they kept their guns, so I got to keep mine. I'm sorry. There's a Glock 17 in the other room. If I see somebody punching my motherfucking mother in her face, especially if I was 14, I'm going to shoot you. 
Like, I'm, I, you're going to get shot. Like, yeah. there is a societal edict, a societal edict to protect people who can't meet the force that is assailing them. When we talk about men against women, that's what we're talking about. There's a, a societal edict to protect people who can't meet force with equal force. And let me tell you what I mean by that. That means mm -hmm. if that was a child. Yeah. Now, I'm not equating women to children. What I'm saying is she can't do to him what he could do to her. That's, yeah. just a, that's a fact. And so because of that, we expect you to act like you got some motherfucking sense. We expect you to be mad and do all your yelling and your shouting. I wouldn't even raise my voice to that woman. But we expect you to do all of that. We expect you to do all of that and not ball up your fists and punch a woman in her face. Multiple times. Multiple times. Like, what are you expecting? Her son is there. He is going to shoot. He is going to do something. Somebody's got to do something. Now, we could have a conversation all day long about where that should stop. Whether, whether or not you follow somebody and you shoot them after. We could talk about that. That's something that we should talk about, and that's what looks like what the law talked about. And that, that's fine. It's a discussion. Anything that happens, in my opinion, after you take your fist and you punch a woman in her face, you earned that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, because, well, no, because, Van, anything could have happened, right? You could have hit her once, even though we know he hit her multiple times. Could have hit her once. She could have fallen back, hit her head, died. The way he was hitting her multiple times, she could have had serious, and she still might, bodily, uh, a bot serious bodily injury from the way that he was attacking her. Deadly force was appropriate in that situation. And because of his actions, he is also deemed, in my opinion, unpredictable, which is why I say him running out. You don't know what this man is capable of doing because out of an argument in a restaurant, he resorted to punching this woman over and over again in the face. Deadly, deadly force is appropriate. And obviously, the DA's office agrees. Have you seen the... Uh, the so you watched the video. Did you see the reaction of the other people that were standing around. Um, particularly, people have talked about the fact that there were a couple of men there. Uh, just standing. Who, who fled when the gun came out, but before they, they were just standing. What do you think about that? They were just standing there. I think that's inappropriate. I think, I, I don't know how as a man you can sit there and watch a woman get beat on and not do anything. I don't understand how you could just, how, how you could look yourself in the mirror and just stand there and watch that. Would you stand there? Of course not. But so, exactly. That's my point. So, I know you would, but I'm yeah, saying. but but OK, so I'll tell a quick story real quick. So I saw one of the guys there was older. It was an older black guy. OK. And when we were doing hip hop homicides, we went to a neighborhood in Chicago called Inglewood. Mm -hmm. And we were in the neighborhood and shout out to the people in Inglewood um, and the people that are making things better there. But obviously, the neighborhood's falling on some tough times in terms of in terms of the way things go there. It's one of the places that's not receiving the attention, um, except for people like Inglewood Barbie, who you know is really struggling to make her community better. I shouldn't say struggling. I think she's she's striving to make her community better. She does a lot of good work, and a lot of people are like that. Mm -hmm. um, but over time, the neighborhood has changed from what it was back in the day. And I met an older guy. And he was on his porch. 
I remember we were shooting, and he goes, just don't come on here. Don't come up here on the porch. Don't don't come up here. Don't don't shoot none of this. And I'm like, okay. And so I start talking to him. Mm-hmm. And he had lived in that neighborhood for a very long time. And he had seen the neighborhood turn from what it was in 1962 or 61 when his parents first moved there and he was a little boy to what it is now. Mm-hmm. And he just sat up there and he watched all of this stuff go on. Same home he had, doing all this stuff. I talked to him. And he was so afraid of young brothers exactly like the one in the video. He was so afraid. He was so afraid. He was afraid because uh, they represented something that he couldn't relate to, that he didn't Mm -hmm. understand. He didn't understand the propensity for violence. He didn't understand, like, what they were going through, what they were trying to say, like, why they were so angry, why they were so murderous. He had seen so much in his neighborhood that I think, I can't speak to everybody that was there, but when I saw the older black dude kind of not doing anything, I, I, I think that oftentimes we don't really think about the paralyzing fear that exists in some of these places. True that, you know, the citizens, the black people that have to live there, that they have of the element that we're talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. the same criminal element that white people are afraid of, black people are afraid of. They're afraid of the savages and the demons that roam this neighborhood. I'm not saying any of this is necessarily true about Mr. Brown. I don't know his background. I know he was acting like a demon then. So Mm -hmm. I can't say anything about what he's been through or what he's gone through. And I know that family lost a loved one and all of that. I'm trying to be sensitive to that. But what I'm saying is I I did see a lot of people that are talking about it. And I understand that we need to make protecting our women um, our highest priority. But when I looked at that older guy, I couldn't help but see the dude that was on the porch. I I couldn't help but think maybe he's fucking scared. You know what I mean? I saw other people in the comments that go, yo, I saw my brother, my brother saw two people getting into it and he jumped into it and now he's dead. I'm telling people don't get in the middle of people's stuff. It's just, it's it's a tough situation all around. But I can tell you one thing. The person that escalated this and turned this into a vicious, villainous, murderous, violent situation is Jeremy Brown. Yeah. That's who did that. That's who did that. I'm going to knock you out. He punched. I don't know how. The loss of life, I get it. I just don't know how to feel any other way than that. I mean, look, I I don't want it to be normalized to shoot people while they're fleeing, if he was, in fact, fleeing. I just don't want it because that opens up too many situations. We've talked about this before. If, If the dynamics here are different, if the racial dynamics here are different and you're trying to get away uh, mm-hmm. and, and you get shot and, and we're going to, we're going to have a different conversation. So we mm-hmm. want to be consistent mm-hmm. in terms of what gives somebody the right to use deadly force. But it's just too, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, I, I can't fucking do anything but say, you shouldn't have punched that woman in the fucking face no, like that. No, this could have been avoided. Yes. Yes, he did. 
Um, yeah, so it looks like for right now, I mean, the murder charges have been dropped. I guess that's the end of no, it. No, that's that. That's done. It's Unless over. they come so, back with like a lesser, like a different type of charge, but I, I, I can't imagine they would charge her. So let's yeah. go into this real quick before we move on and get the exact reason why, or do you know the exact reason why uh, they decided to drop the charges? This, I, I read that they said that there wasn't enough evidence for the chart. That's what that's what I read. We can look it up. Yeah. What would be enough evidence? Well, I mean, to prove the elements, like if, if the DA doesn't feel like they have the evidence to prove the elements of their case, the elements of the charge for in this one, like murder, then they're not yeah. going to move forward with it. Like if they just don't think that there's enough, they might have talked to enough people who were like, listen, he was defending himself. Listen, he was, you know, this is what happened. This is what we saw. And they don't, if they don't think that they can prove their case, they're not going to, they're not going to move forward with it. I wonder what they would have learned that would have made them move off of such, because it was a first degree murder I charge. Think it's, I think it's video. I, I think, think they video. saw, you You talked about, you couldn't imagine that they haven't seen the video. I think they did. I just think they saw it after they charged her. So you I think feel they were like, quick. Okay. I think they were quick to charge her. Based upon the facts, evidence, and the law, we were unable to meet our burden of proof in the prosecution of these cases. Kim Fox. Kim Fox, somebody who's been, uh, you know, in the news before, Kim Fox is the DA there, the Cook County State's Attorney that decided um, not to charge here based upon our continued review and in, in light of emerging evidence. Let me tell you what has to happen. We're going to move on. But let me tell we you what have has to happen. Vi- we, have to ha- we have to have videos to get off every time. Yeah. Um, but let me tell you what has to happen here. Uh, it says you have the right to use deadly force to stop that force against another person. And that's exactly what happened in this case. Exactly why the state's attorney office dropped the case. Yeah, there you go. Um, and a lot of people saying that murder charges should have never been approved uh, in this case. Interesting. Um, no, previ- no previous criminal record for uh, Hood or her son. Not that that matters. And the gun was legally registered. Like, the, legally yeah, registered. There, it, it shouldn't have been. Up. All right, so let me uh let's let's have a conversation real quick. Let's begin to have a conversation about what we have to do in terms of talking about violence against women in our community. Um it seems to me that increasingly there's a generation of young black males it doesn't mind slapping the shit out of a woman. Just being honest with you. And you think that's it, new? It, I think that... I don't think in, that's new. I think in this way it's new. I think that domestic violence has always existed. And it's always been prevalent. And but I think... I don't remember being in high school and being in uh, even college and before then and just watching a bunch of dudes fucking tee off on ladies. But I wasn't have social media. No, no, no. We but I'm talking we... about I'm talking about what I saw with my own eyes. I saw and plenty I of fights. You. I saw plenty of fights. I saw plenty of dudes talking shit to women. I saw plenty of shit of girls talking shit to boys. But I just don't remember I'm this is anecdotal. I just don't <laughs> remember a lot of times like 
dudes just hauling off and beating the shit out of the fighting girls. I just, like, I, when I hear stories from family, I've, it seems that this is nothing new. Interesting. Interesting. Truly, I, I, I do with think domestic violence. Domestic violence is I, I I domestic violence is always so you're more so talking about like r- the random randomness of it. I'm, I'm talking like with about strangers. I'm not excusing any domestic violence situations. I do think it's it's in a different uh, it's in a different trough in terms of. Hmm, I guess it's not. I'm talking about just it's okay to hit a woman over a dispute, like in a line at a thing. It's, oh, I'm just, I'm seeing it in school now. I'm seeing videos of, of, of young men punching on ladies. And it's just, it's, I, growing up, I did not see that. I, I, I'm telling you, I did, I've seen a million times women into it with men, all different types of places, Baton Rouge and, here and all different when I first got out here to LA just like beating up on a woman like punching the shit out of her mixing on her in front of everybody in front of everyone do you do you realize that my dad would have shot that man to death like yeah. it, it would have you know what I mean it was it would have like or if not shot him to death because here's another thing if people jump in and stop that from happening and did that the way he's talking to her, maybe nobody dies. Yeah. I I, I don't have, what I'm saying is, there's something that's happened, there's something that's happened, in my opinion, to where this is more normal than it used to be. It's hard, and you might be right. It's just hard for me to look at it that way when when I do think there's a history of that I don't I think it seems more prevalent because we have more access to to video and audio in ways we didn't before. But when I also think of like the music and the way women are talked about and disrespected and disregarded, that it breeds that thought of not I'm not, not I'm not saying they, they're telling you to do that exact thing like you saw Jeremy Brown, but it does breed this this a culture of almost like looking down at you or disrespecting you or not, you know, not putting you on a certain level. Like, like I, I, I was shocked by what I saw, but I just don't think that there's this huge, there was a time when it really stopped or let up. I, or I don't see it increase, getting increasingly bad. I think this is just the way it's always been. You think there's always, it's just been situations where dudes will haul off, punch the shit out of women in public and nobody would do anything. I'm not saying I don't think it happens all the time. I don't. I don't think it happens all the time. But yeah, I really do. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, look. Um. Just moving on. I do think that there's a men are shitty. Men are shitty. They are. They're shitty to women. We're shitty to each other when we're you know we're, we're competitive and all of that stuff. Men, men, we're shitty to women. I do think, though, like for me, my father, who we've talked about on this podcast in terms of the fact that he wasn't always a good husband, would lose his fucking mind if he thought that I was hitting a woman. Like, yeah. I, was, I couldn't fight my sister 
Like I couldn't fight my sister. Like my yeah. sister, I couldn't fight. And Ebony had them dogs. She'll give you the bing bow boom. And I, I'm, and that sort of don't hit a lady. It just doesn't seem to be that big a deal anymore. And I, why do you? And, why do you think there's been an increase? What do you think it um, is? Do you think? Do you think it's because the whole people might say, "Oh, you want to be equal? Oh, you think you're." You want to act like this? Do you think it has to do with that? I think it's it's not necessarily because that makes it women's fault, right? Um, but you're looking at a man who would hit a woman. I'm saying I'm not saying that that's what you. I'm thinking do those men who would do that have that mentality? I guess is what I'm saying. I think there are a couple of things at play here. Uh, number one, I, I think what I what I said that I had was a father who prioritized as flawed as he was, not being violent against a woman and not hitting mm-hmm. a woman. So I think that's one thing. I think it comes from an older generation. And I also think influences are different now. And like, if you hear in the song, I'll smack the piss out of bitch, I'm not blaming hip hop, okay? I'm not blaming hip hop, but what I'm saying is it seems to have been punching a woman in an argument seems to have been culturally decriminalized. It it seems to be something that, for whatever reason, and we should talk about this, um, it's not a taboo anymore. For a lot of the younger brothers that I'm seeing out, in some way, Hmm. punching a woman has been culturally decriminalized. And, you know, for me, any type of violence in that situation is bad. I don't want to see women smacking the shit out of men. You know, sure. I think that was culturally decriminalized a long time ago. But it's just not the same. All right, we move on. Yeah. Um, I, well, I was about to say, it, it, look just, at the way people were defending Tory Lanez. Yeah, it's just not the same. Just, um. Okay, real quick, uh, updating the Jonathan Majors case. Um, and I know that it might be triggering for some that these are coming back to back, but the lawyer for Jonathan Majors has blamed the NYPD and racism for his domestic violence arrest. Uh, there is a an article on the Insider that, if people are interested in this case, that they should read. In this article, it talks about what Majors and his attorneys say is a mound of evidence that will exonerate Jonathan, um, not just get him off reasonable doubt, like exonerate him. And uh, some of this argument, some of this stuff is uh, very specific. Of course, the the lady that it, Jonathan Majors is accused of uh, of assaulting um, said that he broke her finger, choked her, all of that. There's a reporter from the insider that claims to have seen evidence. It's the only reason why we're reporting on this right now. They claim to have seen evidence that points to the fact that when Jonathan Majors left the lady that she was fine, they have video from inside of the club where she appears to be using her finger. They have the fact that she met people that same night that she got into the argument with Jonathan and they went to the club and they bought a bunch of bottles and they have her 
dancing and fist bumping the DJ and it doesn't look like she was hurting. What they're saying is the next morning she had some sort of nervous breakdown. And when she had that breakdown, she was drunk. She had some pills and she must have hurt herself at that point. The cops came and according to Majors, his attorney, and from what the, the insider reporter saw, that the police officers were uh, dedicated to the notion of taking Jonathan Majors to jail. They even asked, how can this guy afford this place? Um, the, the, the drivers of the vehicle that night are going to testify. It's what they say, according to what's in there, it seems to be a lot. We talked briefly about this. We don't want to spend too much time on this, but we reported some of the advancement in the allegations, so we want to report this too. You had a question that I think was really interesting, Rachel, around like if all of this stuff has been seen by a reporter. Well, yeah, like we're we're sitting here talking about the case in Chicago with Carlisha Hood, and we see that the DA dismissed charges in that case because they, after reviewing certain things and the emerging evidence that was out there, they decided they didn't have enough to move forward on their case. So in reading this article, which is very, very detailed, very detailed, you hear about new witnesses, new video, yeah. and this this writer has um, a reporter has allegedly seen okay, apparently, this. Uh, apparently, Jabari, just last name, when asked by, uh, which that's the name of the lady, when asked how she hurt herself by people who arrived on the scene, apparently she said, "I don't know." Nineteen times. This is all in the article. This is mm -hmm. what they're saying. Apparently, there are transcripts, recordings, all of that stuff. That's what they're saying. Nobody's seen yeah. it yet, except for the writer, except for the Jonathan Major's defense and the writer of the article. Yeah. And so with all of this, you know, based on what I said before, when we were talking about the Chicago case and all this evidence that's emerging, I'm wondering, then why is the DA moving forward? For some reason, if, and if they are, they feel that they have enough information to win their case. Otherwise, they would drop it, especially with all the media attention that's surrounding this case. Everybody's watching them. So to me, it's just interesting to hear all of this and this reporter saying they saw it, which to me seems very damning against um, the person who's, you know, accusing Jonathan of all these things. Sorry, of her name, for, I'm forgetting her name. It seems to go against all the things that she alleged in her initial complaint. I just don't understand why the DA isn't dropping the charges and why they're moving forward. Um, so does that make you think the fact that the DA isn't dropping the charges, does that make you think that perhaps either the evidence isn't as strong as the defense says it is, or is there a chance that the DA has other things that we don't know about because they're not Both. playing the media game? Okay. Both. I absolutely think that they, because they don't have to share everything. They don't have to give everything. They don't have to reveal their entire case to the defense. So I think that they have something that we don't all know about and they're moving forward on that. And I think that that information that they have potentially weakens what the defense has. That's what I would assume. Because why else would you move forward? Because when I read this article, it's like, okay, what are we doing here? Why are we still moving forward with this? You know, I do know that domestic violence charges in New York, it's like once that is out there and there's a complaint, even if the 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 person, the the victim, the alleged victim, if they recant their statement, New York, you, they're still going to move forward with the case. Hmm. They're still going to move forward. Um, but if there is evidence that contradicts it, 
or they don't have enough to move forward their case, they will drop the charges. And for some reason, they're not. Is there any one piece of evidence that's that right here could be lockstep, damning either for or against? Like what what would be so strong that they would still move forward? And what would be something that would be strong enough? What of what you've seen would be strong enough to make them go, if it, if it all exists the way that they say it does, to make them go, we're not, we're out, we're dropping the charges? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, maybe there's, I, I, I have no idea. I can't speak for the DA's office on like what they would specifically need because there's a lot of information here that seems to, to go towards Jonathan. And I say this, that I've said this before. A part of me understands why Jonathan's attorneys keep trying this in the court of public opinion, because his reputation is being tarnished by all of this. And they want to win favor with the public because if he is found not guilty or the DA does drop the charges, they want him to be able to pick up where he left off and continue on with his career and this not be a blemish on, you know, his record or his reputation. So I understand what they're doing, but I also really wish that they would just like stop telling us all this information. They can't. I really they can't. do. They can't. I know, but I wish that. Because things, I because just things, wish. Are, things are moving so quickly in terms of projects and all of that stuff. And this could, I know. And so they, they're, they're trying to maintain that. So just to let you, just to say, his lawyer said, told Insire that they had hoped that the misdemeanor assault charges would be dropped by the prosecutors in Manhattan, but that Jonathan is eager to prove his innocence to a jury. All right. We're going we're gonna to change the mood a little bit. We're going to get to Melvin Gregg from The Blackening. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, Visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work, errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. All right, uh, the movie is The Blackening. It's hysterical. Mm-hmm. You guys have to go see it. You have to go see the film, not just because it's an all-black cast produced by black people. Just go see it because it works, because it's good, because it's amazing. 87% right now on Rotten Tomatoes. And we have one of those fresh tomatoes uh, on the <laughs> show right now. <laughs> Melvin Gregg, look, somebody whose career I've been watching for years 
as he's gone from being someone who was on the Vine situation, who was on television, and who was now making his mark all over Hollywood. He's in the black and he joins us on Higher Learn today. Brother, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate those uh, kind of words about the film yes. and myself as well. Yes. It's a it's a <laughs> it's a it's a good film. It's it very good. novel. The idea that it takes so many of the tropes that involve black people in horror movies and like makes fun of them almost a meta commentary on how they do us in horror movies. When you first read the script, what did you think? Um. It was a breath of fresh air because I don't really like horror movies mm. um, for the most part because of those tropes. Mm. It's like some of them, like the, the old school, old school, like Freddy Krueger, Leprechaun, like they were entertaining, but like the newer like slasher films, I'm just not a big fan of them because I feel like people don't want to survive. It's like, this doesn't make sense. Like y'all not trying to live. Y'all just trying to set up this movie so I could sit here for an hour and a half and be scared. It's like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Um, so a lot of the you know trepidations I had with the genre uh, we addressed in this film. And also the comedic tone was just like, mm. it was right in my way. I have stuff I want to do where it's grounded comedy. We're not really, we're not really playing for jokes. It's just the honesty of the moment and the situations which make it funny. Um, and I felt like uh, our audience, uh, you know, the black culture feels seen in this movie, not just being seen on screen, but also um, having a voice. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like a lot of our characters were the voice of the audience mm-hmm. while on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it is, it's a hilarious movie. I, I was, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I, I didn't know if I was going to be scared, if I was going to laugh. I got a little bit of both. Uh, but as I was laughing, I couldn't help but think if I was watching this and I was with white people and they were laughing just a little too hard, would I feel a certain way about some of the comedy? Do you think do you think about that when you're doing this movie? Like how because I know you talk about it being for us or and, and you know, the the culture and how what it represents. But did you think about that or does that even or do you care? Um, no, nah, no. Nah. So it's like. I'm always conscious of that. Just being black in America, you always, when in mixed company, you you just, you tend to be conscious of it. And shooting this film, it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like we were in mixed company. So we were just unapologetically ourselves. Mm-hmm. And Tim kind of set the stage for us to do that. And the script was written in that way. Um, so we just, we shot what we felt was right. And when we premiered it at TIFF, the um, Toronto International Film Festival is like this this one slot. It's called like uh, Midnight Madness. It's, it's like a big slot um, at this festival. And I, w- I would say the majority of the audience was like older white people. I'm like, they're not going to get these jokes. Like, they're not going to get it. I don't know how it's going to play. But they loved it. It's like they might not have gotten all of the uh, intricacies of like space and the terms, but... I think it's more so about the relationships between the characters and the friends and then just trying to survive um, that people related to. And if they don't get space, maybe they can relate it to Yahtzee or something that they do play where, you know, the stakes are dire when, you know, the uh, the card game is going on. But they, they seem to relate to it. And somebody asked that question to Tim and he was like, I make movies for myself and like three of my friends. Mm. And hopefully the world loves it. But I can't go in making a movie thinking about what everybody else is going to like because it's going to lose the essence of what it is. Um, so I feel like that was that that resonated with me when he, when he said that. Uh, but yeah, 
Um, I feel like everybody enjoy everybody enjoy our culture. We got the most influential culture yeah. in the world, and it's just us being us. So I feel like we could do it on screen too. Is there anybody that you look at that you look to and go like, I want a career that kind of follows in that person's footsteps? Because obviously, there's a lot on your shoulders, like keeping the baton um, and the tradition of light skinned niggas going. So like with 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 with, with <laughs> that. With that, is there, is there anybody that you look at and you go, I have to continue. I I want that person's career. You know, it's no light skin legacy that I feel like I gotta <laughs> uphold. You know what I mean? like, coming 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 through the gates, I was like, I need to break down all of these walls that's holding us lighter complexed brothers back. You know what I mean? I don't want to just be. I, I, I just say early on, I want to be like. I want to be Jada's dream man. I want to be able to do the Will Smith shit, but how to edge a Tupac. Oh. Um, so, you know. Uh, Jada, bro. Jada just, somewhere right now, Jada just went, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> just even, even with somebody putting that out there, she went, I never thought of that person. Ooh. Man, man, that's crazy. You know, so, like, yeah, I, I, oh, don't, I don't want my careers to go that past, but I want to be able to do the commercially the commercially successful stuff like Will, the four quadrant projects, but you can't see Will do a Tupac project and take them serious. Mm. And that's something like, it's, it's just an edge that Will don't have. Even when he slaps somebody, you're like, eh, all right. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, damn, it wouldn't have been me opposed to if it had been like, you know, a Tupac or whatever, just somebody without the Will Smith vibrancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been different. And I feel like that, that, it translates on screen. You know, you give you give too much of yourself to the audience. They can only really see you in, in one way. Um, and I, I I grew up a huge fan of Tupac. My favorite movie, you can probably see it, is Juice. You know what I mean, Bishop and Juice was the character I looked up to as a kid. God so. damn, Melvin. <laughs> hey, man. Mel- Melvin, that nigga Jim. was nuts. Okay, oh, well, explain Lord. why. Ex- Melvin, why? Why did you look up to him? <laughs> Um, probably I can't come and give you like no some something that sound good. Uh, he was an anti-hero. I really, I don't wait, 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 wait. You, you feel like Bishop? See, that's why I like Melvin. Melvin, one of the realest. You feel like Bishop from Juice was an anti-hero? He was killing all his friends. Yeah. <laughs> he was, but the story followed him. <laughs> Stories all the time when they follow. I. Hear me on this, man. Stories always want to follow the good guy. And every everybody doing the right thing for the right reason. But that's not the world we live in. Think about think about video games like Grand Theft Auto, right? Everybody play Grand Theft Auto, uh, uh, Call of Duty, all of that. Nobody going around being a police officer on Grand Theft Auto. That's true. Uh, picking people up in an ambulance, arresting people. Everybody wants chaos. Like, people live for chaos. So be able to... To be able to play that character on screen or follow that character is more interesting to me. That's why I I, I enjoy like characters like Man Boy is, mm. and even though I don't be a bad guy, but it's like being bad is fun, and if you can do it with no <laughs> consequences, like playing a video game or doing it on camera, like shit, why not? Being bad is fun. If they in the age where like they're doing remakes and they're reimagining films, if they do that for Juice. And they ask you to play Bishop. Would you do it? No. Okay. Why? No, no, no. Why? And I should mean, they he, remake he, it? Hell no. No, they, should, they shouldn't remake it. Like I got mixed feelings, but 
ain't gonna say I got mixed feelings. I don't love all of the remakes. Um, for some stuff, you could do it, but some of these classics that weren't even really big IPs, they just trying to do it to get us to tap back into. Yeah. Like these movies did ten million dollars in the box office. Like you only remaking it to put on a streaming service to hope that we come and tap in. It wasn't a big film like like a um. I can't think of it. <clears throat> the movie I'm thinking of right now, the Tom Hardy movie where they out in the desert with the big machines and tanks. Mad Max Fury um, Road. Mad- yeah, something like that is a big IP you could remake, or like Star Wars, a reboot, mm-hmm. that type of shit. But like some of these smaller movies, I get why they do it. But Juice, um, I mean, they killed it. Why Why try to redo it? And yep. then okay. try to compare ourselves to, to that. They they do a stage play right now, actually, um, for Juice. They do one a stage play for Juice, and they do one for New Jack City, too. New Jack City, too, mm-hmm. yeah. They're doing a New Jack City. They got Alan Payne back. For, shout out they to Alan Payne for, for the Juice New Jack City uh, situation, uh, New Jack City play. Um, look, yeah. you know, one thing I liked about this movie is we talk a lot about diversity, but we don't talk about mm-hmm. the diversity that we have inside of the culture. Like, like Rachel and I are alike, but we're also different. You know what I mean? Watch I'm not it, gonna man. Get mm-hmm. it. I'm not going to get into Watch it. it. I did we're, feel we're, seen, though. I did feel seen <laughs> right. in this movie. <laughs> but, but, but this movie, like, leans into the fact that it's all different types of Black people. And that's very, very important. When you read it, did, was that something that, that jumped out to you? Because as soon as I said that, I saw you shaking your head. Like, do you like movies where you get to be because like if you're in juice and you're a tupac there's got to be a omar Epps. there's got to be a black guy or a black lady that might be more conservative i think a celebration of us is a celebration of every different part of who we are i think the blackening gets that right uh thank you um no when i first read it it didn't jump out to me in that way because nobody was really cast so i'm just kind of hearing the characters through like my own personal lens um and it's like, I don't know. I know all of these people. So it's like, cool, cool. I'm feeling like, okay, this this is culturally accurate. But I didn't realize the representation that it was um, it was touching on within the culture until we were actually filming and we got and I got to see what each person was doing with each character because a lot of times you only get one of the type, one of the seven that we got in this film. We we typically only get one of those in this genre. Um, and in other genres too, you know what I mean? In a a lead role like this, where you kind of see the person rounded out more so, you get to know these characters, you get to know the Clippings and the Shanikas and the, you know, Allison and Kings um, in a way that uh, I don't see too often with our our projects. I read that you, you said you don't want to be known for playing the same type of character over and over again. Mm -hmm. What was it about King that drew you to want to play this character specifically? Um, yeah, I think that the, the artist in me wants to, of course, like feed my ego of being this super diverse actor and touch on so many different things. Um, and I, I do. But I also lean into playing these thug roles because I know these people like intimately. Like I grew up, my cousins, everybody around me, like... Um, were these people, but they are people. And a lot of times portrayed on screen, you don't get to see who they are. You might see him 
rob a corner store, but you don't understand. He has a sister at home with cerebral palsy. He needs medication. You know what I mean? It's a John Q situation to a lot of this. Or, you know, he comes from a broken home where his dad wasn't there. Or his mom is on drugs. It's, you really don't understand who these people are. So to step into those spots, I, I lean into him, um, even though I don't want to just do that because I understand the business of it. But with King, more so, I mean, I'm not going to talk like this was an Oscar-winning like <laughs> role and I had to do so much to get into it. But a parallel that I drew from was after playing, after I did Snowfall, all of a sudden I keep getting cast as a thug. Mm. Um, and I was like, I don't want to keep doing it. I, want, I don't want to be seen as a thug. Before that, I was just a basketball player all the time. I was like, I don't want to just be seen as this thug. I want to be seen as something different. So I want to do different stuff. And then when I read the script, I'm like, oh, King going through the same shit. Like, people just saw him as a thug, and he wants to be seen for who he grew into. Um, the man he is now, he's a real estate agent. Um, he's he's into, you know, um, breathing, um, different breathing and meditation and all this type of stuff. So uh, I thought that would, that would be something cool to take on in a nice way to segue out of the, like, my little thug era. Was y'all hooping on the uh, on the set? Did y'all get any run? I know Sink would like to, like to play. Nah, nah, not at all. The, the closest we got to hooping, which wasn't even close to hooping, we was working out on the side of the road. And um, what what is that area called? It's by UCLA. Oh, uh, that's uh, Westwood. Westwood, yeah, we are. Is it Westwood? By uh, UCLA, mm-hmm. UCLA is in Westwood. Yeah. Okay. okay. Westwood, yeah, Brentwood. Yeah, we, uh, like, yeah, it's like yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we are. You know, we working out on the side of the road. And if you've seen the movie, you know, St. Croix, his costume is like a jumper yeah. with a white beetle on. So he got it tied around his waist. And me, him, and Jermaine on the side of the road lifting weights until somebody called and uh, made a complaint. But yeah, that was mm-hmm. the closest we got. The blackening. They saw it for it's real. Um, I got two. I, <laughs> I, I, have a, I have one question that's two questions, just about anything. What is the dopest thing out there? And what is the wackest thing out there? What's just dope? out there, something that you love, and this what's just whack, something that you don't fuck with? In cinema? Nah, just period. In life? In life. Fatherhood is dope. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's like the dopest shit ever, man. Um, I knew I always wanted to be a dad, and I think that was just the narcissism in me to create another me that I could raise up to be better than me, but after having kids and like, it's just, it's indescribable. Um, like, my happiest moments come from, you know, moments I have with my sons. And, like, my most emotional moments comes from just putting them to bed at night, knowing I can't see them to the morning. Mm. Um, fatherhood is the dopest shit by far. And it made me hypersensitive to so many things. Relationships on different sides of the spectrum of fatherhood. I look at dads different now. I feel for sons different now. Um, I understand that relationship and how it's needed and why it's needed and how people affect it when they don't have it. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's dope. It's dope. What's the wackest thing out there? Um, man, I, I hate the, I hate just this, this, I don't want to say generation, but just like the, the social media shaming and judgment of people. You know what I mean? How people so quick to talk down on other people. And a lot of times it don't even be real. They just be looking for somebody else in the comments to relate to them so they can have some engagement and have somebody to talk to. But it's at the expense of putting somebody down most of the time. Um, 
Yeah, I think that's whack. Like, yeah, I think that's super whack. Yeah. yeah, and agree, and agree. Um, something that I saw that you're doing, you volunteer with the NAACP Teen Arts Department. Can you talk about that and like, what's the work that you do with them? Nothing. I don't know where that came from. Oh, really? I saw that before too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down to help out. If I did, I probably would like, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but at least you saw that out there too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm down I was like, oh. <laughs> My PR probably hit me like, no, but you did. Remember you did this? Oh. Okay. Oh. No, then, then tell me, tell me what you are working on next. How about that? You tell me. Oh. Me instead God. of me trying to tell you what what's coming up for you. What are you working on next? Um, I'm writing heavy. Like my main focus right now is writing. Like the same way I was able to create content online and just control the narrative of what I wanted to do. My goal has always been to do the same thing um, in a traditional space, and I know that's just gonna come from writing. Um, other than that, I have a film coming out in October called Story Ave. Um, cool little movie. I get to play a juice type, a bishop, a bishop okay. type character. Um, when I was a real cool film. Director uh, Aristotle Torres, he stars uh, Asante Black, myself. Mm. Um, it's, oh man, it's uh, it's cool. It's October 9th. Uh, Black News just came out. Yeah, that's 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 part of it for now. It's just you know writing, developing. I'm on strike, so I'm not writing. Right not writing. Now, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not writing. You're not writing. <laughs> you're, you're thinking about uh, what you might write play. when they. Yeah, yeah. you know yeah, what I'm saying? Because we ain't wrote nothing I'm today. It's not like. I got six pages done. That, no, anyway. Um, so, so, so look, I got two more questions. One is bullshit, but then the other one, I really want to hear what you got to say. And before I even get to these questions, I want to let you know that we we start we were in a movie together. We co-starred in a movie together. We did. Was it was it Sharknado? No, come on, bro. You know what I'm saying? What was it? We were high flying bird, bro. I was in that. You were in High Flying Bird. Yeah. Uh, we was in High Flying Bird together. So shout out to Ed, me. We co-starred, bro. That's why. Shout we, out to <laughs> Castmates, High Flying Bird. Um, okay. That's that's how that's how myself and Yvonne Orgy and Jay Farrell are like with this film. Mm. Like we're in the same film. Right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you don't really. Yeah. Right. Right. It's true. Now let me let me ask you this because there's a show that just wrapped up. A lot of people know you from at Snowfall. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Snowfall is a show that is well acted, that is well produced, that is has captivated audiences for the time that it's been on. However, it's gone noticeably unrecognized uh, in a lot of the awards and in the year's top lists and the this and the that. Why do you think? people don't view Snowfall as prestige television in the same way other shows on FX are viewed or um, other shows in the landscape are viewed right, right? Why doesn't Snowfall get that same love? The performances are amazing. It looks amazing. It's had a coherent, amazing story through the entire time. You were great. Eamon is great. Damson is great. Everybody has been great on the show. Why do you think and I've heard you talk about it before. Why why does the snowball get any awards recognition? 
Uh, I can't, I can't tell you. When you say other shows in the same landscape, like, what do you mean? I mean, like Atlanta. I mean, like, uh, like shows. I, I was thinking about the FX shows. I was like, Atlanta. Or, yeah, other other stories. I'm not talking about that deal in the same type of uh of subject matter. Um, I'm not talking about like power. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about power and stuff like that. Shout out to Fifty, but I think we know power is a little yeah. bit more of a soap opera. Um, Snowfall takes itself a little bit more seriously, I would say, and it's dealing with a lot of things that historically were very real when you're talking about. Uh, the Contras and things that happened in the 80s. That's real shit, historically accurate stuff that they're talking about, but it doesn't seem to be met with the same seriousness as some of the other shows. Right. Um, I mean, I could be political and say we make the show for the fans and the fans love it and it's the most, it's the most watched show and with our audience, you know, we get the awards. Um, but, you know, past that we all understand the the um, the role that getting these nominations plays for the people involved. Um, and it's conversations I've had with other cast members. We don't know. Um, all we could do is put our best foot forward and try to make like the best product we can do and not worry so much about that. Um, it didn't happen. And I feel more so for like the main cast involved, like Damson and Eamon and Isaiah and, and um, just everybody involved because they put in so much work on the show for six years. I came in two two years and, you know what I mean, was just happy to be a part of it. It was my favorite show before I was even on it. Um, but for them to get overlooked in Damson, like, he even gave a remarkable performance from top to bottom. Like, he grew on that show, like, into a man, until, we, until who you see him today and just grew as an actor and just, like, the development from, you know, season one and six is phenomenal. Um... But, you know, he wanted BT Best Actor Award last night, actually. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, when it comes to just, like, the Emmys and stuff, I, I understand that a lot of it is politics. Um, you need a network to really push behind it and campaign. Um, and then you need the people that's a part of the, you know, the uh, award. The, the I, I don't want to say the Academy, but people that's members of, like, the Emmy, whatever it's called. Yeah that vote for it, you need them to know the show and see the show and be familiar with it. And I, I guess if I had to guess, I would say that off top is probably something not attracted to seeing when we look at the majority of what these people are, these older white people, when they see the show about quote unquote drug dealers in South Central, maybe they just don't tap in and they don't even know what it is and it's going unseen. The Black Men is the movie and we all can't die first. Um, so I'm going to do something for you right now. I'm going to give you the opportunity to bring one black character who died in a movie back to life. You can bring them back to life. They live out their full life. Okay. You get to save them from their death in the movie. Who are you going with? And we just see their life play out on screen. It's like a, a, a They sequel just don't type. die. Yeah, they don't die in the movie. And they, they can die. go, you can you can see whatever, they can have a sequel, they can not, they just don't die in the movie. Who, who are you going with? It's, I mean, you should know. You should know. Bruh. We already like, whatever. You're not going to bring Bishop back. Bishop is going to kill again, bro. You can't, you, so, <laughs> you like, know bruh, bi, bruh, know Bishop, dog, Bishop is definitely going to kill again, bro. Bro, if Bishop turns his life around, he has a lot, to, like, 
the retribution that he has to do, like he's gonna really change the world. So I just want to let you know. Change the world. I just want to let you know. Ricky was going to USC (laughs) to play football, and he was killed by gangs. Okay, it had nothing to do with it. And you're telling me? I mean, I'm thinking about Ricky. I'm thinking about Latifah from Set It Off. I'm I was thinking, thinking about, Cleo too. I'm I was thinking, thinking Queen Cleo. and Slim. They got them both. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 well, I'm thinking about really? all of these characters. And you Rick, go with Bishop from Juice, bro. Okay, let's let's break it down one by one. Let's take Ricky's death out of Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood don't hit as hard. You need him to die for that. <laughs> Without him, that movie falls. It ain't gonna say it falls flat. But it's not the same movie. And then he goes on. Who cares to see Ricky at USC? Like, what is this show about? Like, Daniel? Like, I'm not tapped into that. Um, so, uh, Queen Latifah and set it off. What's she doing? Everybody else gone. Like, I don't want to see her, like, have a family. I don't really care about that score. Like, Queen and Slim. Like, okay. they can go to run and dance for three more seasons. Nah, man. Bring Bishop back. I want to see Bishop redeem himself. Um, and if he don't, we just going to watch Juice Part 2. He going to move to another city. Maybe Tupac move to the West Coast because he on the run and, you know, start something up here. Maybe he run into Franklin Saint. I don't That's know, man. Bishop, <laughs> oh, Bishop, Bishop, hold on, hold on, hold on. See, Bishop on the run on, he gets to L.A. Or, or down, That's actually a good movie. Melvin, you're crazy, bro. You're crazy with this Bishop. Gang. I gotta be honest with you, bro. Y'all, that's Melvin Gregg. I'm telling you guys right now. I'm telling you guys right now. There's we're we're in such a great point in Black Hollywood where we have all of these amazing actors who are able to do their things. And the one right now that's on our screen, uh, something special. Gonna be around for a very, very long time. Gonna have a huge career. Melvin, I'm surprised I we haven't connected before this, brother, but we're so happy to have you on Higher Learning. Thank you for joining us, bro. Thanks so much, man. I'm a big fan. We, I, used to, I used to see you all the time at 24-Hour Fitness I'll back in the day. Get, get, giving people work. Giving people work is what you're saying. Uh, giving people work, man. Yeah, giving people... You, was, you, was you know what I'm saying? Intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. People like to I still wait for 24 hour fitness. Yeah, yeah, no. 24 hour fitness got a little bit toxic, bro. I had to, I had to stop. I got a, I got a, I got a dog now, so yeah. I'm chilling. Melvin, though. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for joining us, brother. Melvin, the man. He's great. You like and him. y'all got to go see the blackening. It is so funny. So you know funny. Y'all, y'all say y'all like black people, but y'all don't be going to see black people movies like that. Y'all need to support this. Like, go out and see the movie. The movie's good. Like, go see it. You know, I know things and, and even if you're not black, Melvin said it's okay for y'all to laugh. It's yeah. okay to laugh. Go Don't enjoy laugh yourselves. Hard. I'm not fucking with you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, BT Awards for last night. Did you watch? I did not. You didn't watch I the feel BT like Awards. I fought. No, I didn't watch this year. And maybe a part of it is because I've worked it the last two years and this is the first year I, don't, I didn't work it because I don't work for extra like that anymore. So an extra didn't even cover it on the carpet. But... Wow. Um, I know. Um, so it's I, like a part of me is like, oh, I wish I was there. But I did follow along on social media, the fashions, who was there, some of the performances. So, you know, I guess I supported in that way. You watched it? A little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm not into award shows anymore. Um, 
but I wanted to see what was going on with Ice Spice. Uh, look, in, speaking of her, um, <laughs> Lil Uzi Vert and JT had uh, a, a kerfuffle, scuffle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the BET Awards, and there's, it's on video. Natalie Nunn supplied us with video. One of oh, that came from her? One of the videos I saw came from that. Oh. And that, <laughs> that was one of the videos where uh, it shows JT um, whacking Uzi with her phone. She threw a phone at Uzi and, and accused him of being a groupie. Now, people are saying this is around Ice Spice. That he was being a little too friendly with Ice Spice or whatever. He's, well, he said it on the stage. And then, like, they're saying it yeah. was about Ice Spice. Well, so wait, so what? So we, he said it on stage. He, is Ice Spice something? Yeah, he like he revealed a new song, and in it he said he's got a girl and she's got a fro, like Ice Spice, and she's nice. And I gotta be honest, like that would that if that's my man talking about another woman who happens to be right here, I'm gonna feel a little certain way. I'm not throwing my phone at you, but I'm gonna have some words for you when you get off the stage, and then I gotta see a photo of the two of you circulating, cuddled up. Not cuddled up, but they're close. The two of you go making the rounds as well. It just feeds the narrative of what was on stage. And now you got everybody talking and making me look stupid. And you're my man. Yeah. I'm going to be, my feelings are going to be a little hurt. Mm. So then you were a resort to violence because her taking her no. phone and throwing <laughs> at it and throwing her phone at him is domestic no. violence. No. It didn't. No. Yes. It is JT, JT is guilty yes. of domestic violence. I'm sorry. Right there. Yes. I don't condone the violent part. I do understand her being humiliated and her feelings being hurt. I do. <laughs> what did like, he that's say? That's embarrassing. What, like, what he did said he say? something about like, she's got a little fro. She's got a little fro. Uh, Donnie or Ashley, maybe you can find the clip. She's got a little fro, like ice spice. She's nice. I don't think he says wife, but he might say wife. Hold on. Let me look and at that, this. I got to see what this is worth. Uzi Vert, Ice Spice lyrics. Uh, JT throws phone at Lil Uzi, calls him a bitch-ass nigga, and Goofy at the BET Awards. Or Groupie. Uh, we don't know. She either said Groupie or Goofy. Wait a minute. Hold on. Oh, here it is. Oh, yeah. It's called Spin Again, Spin Again, Spin Again, Pull Up in the Fishbowl, Ooh, Clear Lens, Spin Again, Spin Again, Spin That Shit Just Like I'm a Ceiling Fan. I got too much. What? I got the bitch fuck. I get your bitch fuck. Wet. I get your bitch fuck wet. <laughs> okay, bitch, so get, to the, get to the part. Hold on. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Um, uh, oh, I'm fucking the dog shit out of this bitch. Her wig came off twice. She had a little fro. She looked like Ice Spice. Uh, Donnie, go ahead and run it. I got a nice wife. I'm fucking out of this bitch. Her wig came off twice. She had a little fro. She looked like Ice Spice. Oh, yeah, he doubled down. Yeah, he went hard on the Ice Spice part. Go, go, say it again. Play it again, Donnie, because he, they, they, clear, they called a little clear out for the Ice Spice part. Go ahead. Play it again, Donnie. And then, and then, BT and then Awards. They, and then they... <laughs> messy. Messy. They cut to Ice Spice. Yeah. Messy yeah. as BT Awards. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's embarrassed. She's embarrassed. Her feelings are hurt. But the violence, no. She had never heard this song? No, it was a new song. So it's a so she had never heard this song. So he's just playing with her. He's just playing in her face. I it seems like it. I can't understand what he's saying half the time. Maybe she didn't either. I don't know. Maybe she heard and she wasn't paying attention. So look, 
is it is it is it bad because it's the specificity right it's like the fact that mm-hmm. he said ice spice because if he was just like fuck a bitch or like nut on right. the stick or whatever like that then it's like uh that's okay but the fact that he singled out ice spice is the thing that's pissing her off you can't do that. and then they took that picture together and everybody was it's like circulating around yeah but you also can't resort to violence and I did have a huge problem with everybody posting their videos and it almost seemed like they were glorifying or excited by what JT did to Uzi. She threw her phone hard at him, could have hit anybody. I understand Natalie Nunn being excited because she probably thought she could cast her for the next baddie show. She said but that. Other than, she said I should oh, she cast did? JT oh, she for did. <laughs> See? 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 Yeah. But I don't like the fact that everybody seemed to be excited by it. And as you love to always point out, if the roles were reversed, this would have been a totally different situation. And neither one are okay. She should not have done that to him. That's not the way to handle that situation. Um, I'll say this. Women always excuse violence. Like, there's a whole show called Snapped about women who killed their husbands. <laughs> They're not excusing. They're not excusing snaps. We're not excusing snap. I watch snap the same way I like to watch Dateline. Okay. Yeah. And I'm both are killing shows. At the same time, though, is like snapped. Snapped. The name of that show (laughs) implies that they were pushed so far that they snapped. (laughs) Uh, So the name of the show, the name of the show, inherently implies (laughs) that a nigga deserved. To get no, killed. it doesn't. It does. No, well, but if you wait, watch wait, 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 the wait. show, wait. If it was a show called Snapped, and it was men who killed their wife, well, she kept burning the bread. I had to fucking shoot her. I and that, that show is not going. To... It's uncharacter. Like it just seems like the way that women have been. The stereotype of a woman in the society is not that she would like resort to that type of violence. And so, I'm trying to justify it, and I can't. No, what I'm saying is, right. what I'm saying is, right. what I'm saying You're is, right. since we've had an episode that has so much to do with, uh, you know, violence amongst the sexes, is there something that we need to sort? Because like a woman slapping a man, a woman, do, none of this excuses the, the retaliation. But I'm saying, don't we need to not be like, yeah, I smacked the shit out of my nigga too, if he was saying the Ice Spice Fro dance song and stuff. That's not we can't, we can't encourage that. So, Violence we is, can't. Get to the point of violence. You ever smacked the shit out of a guy? No. But I did have to think about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe you. I haven't. I might be my little push, or maybe a shove. Yeah, I don't believe you, man. I think all my exes unite. I've never done that. I've never done that before. <laughs> you know. Anyway. All right, uh, last thing. Is this fucked up? A video has circulated of four black women twerking Mm. on top of the slave castle in Ghana. It's the castle that everyone goes to. It's erected by the Portuguese in 1482. It was the first trading post built on the Gulf of Guinea. And it would become one of the most important stops on Atlantic slave trade. We've seen this before. People go there when they go to Ghana. Yeah. Get in touch with the continent, the ancestors. I saw Steve Harvey cried. It's a place that everybody goes. I'm telling you right now, when I go to Ghana, I'm not going there. And I'm coming to Ghana. I don't, I don't want to go. And I'll tell you why. 
I'm too emotional to go do stuff like that. I don't see how you go do stuff like that and then come back and still be around the white people that you be around. Because, you know, sometimes I'll be looking at people like, you know, your ancestors were a bunch of evil motherfuckers. Because I see, like, Cristiano Ronaldo, the Portuguese, and I'd be like, you come from some of the most evil motherfuckers. And I, I'm, I'm not focused enough for it. I don't want to see it. But I understand okay. that. I know, would go see it. Of course you would. I would go see would. it. I think there's just, I don't know. It's like a, for, to go all the way there and not see that, I would feel like an incomplete trip. It is about, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, if it sounds wrong to say paying respects, but just kind of acknowledging, just seeing it. I want, I, I, I need, I need to go. I need to pay go. respects to the slaves. That's a Portuguese castle. Not, 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 not pay respects, but just like, that's why I said I might, I'm probably using the wrong word, but like what, what, what happened there, what was done. I just need, I need to go. I need to see it. I need to, I just need to be there. But what I would need to do is stand on top of it, bend over, touch my toes twerk and that. twerk. For the ancestors. That wouldn't even cross my mind because I would be emotional, because I would be thinking about what was done. And I would probably be overwhelmed with that type of emotion. I wouldn't be like, this one's for the ancestors. I just, I, I, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. You know, you know what it makes me, you know what I'm concerned with? Just how cut off we are from who we really are. But you would think in Ghana, that's the whole purpose to go. That's what I don't understand. That's the disconnect no, to you're, me. You're, you're missing what I'm saying. What? There's a reason why we twerk. There's a reason why we dance like that. We dance like that because we've been doing it for thousands of years. We dance like that because we came from a place where when we would show our fertility and we would show our, our zest and zeal for life, drums would come out and our women who were blessed with amazing trunks and thighs would shake their asses. The people that have told us that shaking your ass is bad are the Judeo-Christian captors who couldn't do it. And so now we wear their pants, we wear their shirts, we speak their language, we have their names, and we judge each other by their standards. There's nothing right about this, but there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's like if if we get if if we get into if we get into the painting of nails and all of that, the wearing of certain things, I hear all I hear black men sometimes talking about what's feminine and what's not feminine, right? And every time I hear them talking about it, they're talking about a Western version of what a man should look like. They're not talking about how we dress and where we come from and what our lineage is. And that's cool. It's cool because we started here in America and we've adopted the cultural mores and values of the people that captured us. That's fine. Yeah. Those women are in Africa. And if you're saying that there's no reason for them to be celebrating, but I'm going to be honest with you, 
if they're communing with their ancestors, if they're dancing with their ancestors, that's how their ancestors danced. Do you think that that was really their intent? I don't know or, what their intent was, but I also don't, I, I don't think that I should, I, I don't think that I should infer. I need to and see I the think, video. Donnie, can you put the video up? I need to, I need to see the video nah, again. They was, throw, they was throwing that ass. They was throwing that okay. ass. Okay. So like, you know and and I don't I'm, disagree I'm, with the history of what you're saying. <laughs> I don't disagree. I, I'm not, but I think just because. Donnie, play it. Yeah, see, they, they throwing that ass. <laughs> nah, they throwing that, they, 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 they throwing that ass. But look, but, 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 uh, but I'm saying though, to me, I just don't, I just don't see why we're so uptight. Up, we're so far from the way we're supposed to be and who we are and all of that. It's just, it's, when those it's women, interesting. When those women, when they bring the drums out and they would dance. Mm, no. I there's my, there's my puka. I, there's all kinds of different dances. With, like that come from the continent, we dance like that and get around and, and get busy like that because it's in us. That's who we are. So why are we? But is it be? is? I I understand what you're saying, but when they do it, are they like bent over and the and the man's behind them? Is that like? Because I feel like that's the way. That's what twerking is here. They like weren't now. bent over. There wasn't no men there. Why you? Why you talking? There wasn't no men there. But there that's was, there but was... that's what they. Do, but that. But like that. What they were doing was for the purpose of social media and like a twerking as if they were on a di like a dance floor, like for the man to get behind. There's like a. There's a difference, man. There's a difference. I, I don't think so. I think the only difference is so they what were we they were celebrating. I don't so know they were celebrating the ancestors. It's not about celebrating the ancestors so much as it is that there's nothing wrong. There's no right or wrong place to to shake ass in celebration. There's I to me. It, th there's no right okay. or wrong place. Okay. There, there's there's okay. there's no right or wrong place to shake ass in in celebration. And sometimes, to be honest with you, you can't help but shake some ass because some some people, no matter how they dance, a little ass will be shaked. I I get what I understand. And I, I would that imagine that, here. that it's usually in celebration or for a ceremony or for like that on top of a slave castle, just, I, th that's not what they were doing. They weren't. To me, to me, if you're going to go to the slave castle, if it's okay to go to the slave castle and cry, then it's definitely okay to go to the slave castle and dance. If it's okay to go, go to the it. slave castle and cry, it's definitely okay to go to the slave castle and dance. It's a slave castle. You, it's, 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 you know what? You know why you can't say anything? Because you're not, you're never going. I'm never going. You I'm tell me, if you go, if, if, you tell me if, what you feel moved to do, to cry the, if I, or twerk. If I go to the slave castle, I'm a piss on the slave castle. But I can tell you one thing. It's, and I it's like, wouldn't be mad at that. <laughs> and, and, to, and, to, and to be real with you, twerking on the slave castle, aha, you guys are gone. Ghana is still here. You didn't kill us. I'm, I'm with it. I'm okay with it. Again, Don, if that I'm, intention, intention. I need Donnie and Ashley to jump in real quick. We need a a, a, a a ruling here. Donnie, twerking, yes or no? Uh, my initial reaction was uh, that it wasn't a good look. But uh, when I first brought it up, I showed it to Janae. She had a similar reaction to you, Van. And after some more consideration, I think I, I'm, I'm open to people expressing their emotions any way that they feel Donnie, best Donnie. to them when they get there. Donnie. And I'm not, I'm not here to like, to rain on people showing their black joy in that way. And I mean, Donnie, like, Donnie, I, I've changed my mind on it. Donnie, Donnie. So you think there are that was joy? They were shaking. The, oh, it was that definitely was, joy. 
it's just whether or not it's appropriate joy. Like I think my opinion. They were on the doing it for the gram. Joy. They were doing it for yeah. Instagram. They went viral. They success. That's why they were doing it. Now they might come out and say it was something different now since since you and Van have given them an out. <laughs> but I don't think that's what was happening here, Ashley. Um, I'm a little conflicted with it because like the first time I saw it, or the first time I read it, I was like, "What?" And then I saw the video, <laughs> and um. I don't know if it's because I kind of grew up in such like a desensitized type of like internet thing. So it didn't hit as badly as I thought it would when I saw it. You're definitely right. They did it for the gram, 100%. But I don't think I am upset at them. Like like the comment section was like mad shitting on them. So I don't think I'm upset with them. I think for other people, hmm. It's so complicated. I don't even know. I'm not upset. Because you know why? You're reaching. (laughs) All y'all are reaching. That's why you can't, that's why you can't reason with it. I'll be the bad guy. I'll be the bad person. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I'm the prude. I'm the prude one on the podcast. Rachel, go in there and watch some TBN after this. (laughs) (laughs) Rachel, go in there and watch some TBN. Daddy, can you turn it on TBN? We're almost done. Turn on TBN right now. (laughs) Wall-to-wall coverage of the grieving world of Pat Robinson uh, after Susie passed away. All right, that's enough. And maybe I would have a different opinion if I wasn't at my family home. Probably so. Probably. (laughs) The spirit is is on me. Because, nigga, I see, Rachel, I could tell, I know you, nigga. Like I could tell so like I you I know I just, you. Can you, I just like, let you know that know if you, you listen nigga. to I'm so glad I remembered this. I believe if you turn up the volume on that video, one of them said, at them red lights twerking on them headlights. I rest okay, my so case. What? So what? Okay. Oh, okay, you go cool. sing the you go sing the lyrics to F N F? Cause I can't say it's it. you guys, you guys, there's nothing <laughs> sacred there. It's not our castle. Our ancestors exist. It's it's the it's a castle we should be twerking on, pissing on, and shitting on. It's not our castle. Our ancestors died there. There's plenty of other places that they died. My thing is what I'm saying is it's not sacred to us. It shouldn't be sacred to us. It's nothing. Not to sacred, but just like exactly. But if some that something happened there to us, fine. Don't look at it as sacred. But like what happened there is not a cause for at the red lights twerking on them headlights twerk Twerk at the castle it's fine okay uh take think caps off and do not stop learning i'm family i'm rachel and Lindsay. hi guys